0: So I want to take you to a place, I I went to this passage probably 12, 13 years ago, and I figured it's time for you to hear it again, something like that at least. In John chapter 5, verse 1 through 14, I'm going to read them real quickly. John chapter 5, John chapter 5, there's a statement he makes in verse 14 that stunned me. And I'll try to emphasize verse 14 for you when I get there. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went out to Jerusalem. And there was at Jerusalem, I want you to underline or emphasize at least, by the sheep market, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew town Bethesda, having five porches. I've been there, by the way. It's still there. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk. Notice who was there. Impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole whatsoever disease he had. Well, that made it popular. That's what drove them there. What drove all them people there? Hope. And a certain man was there which had infirmity. And this again, this is mind boggling. Thirty eight years. Thirty-eight years. Wow. When Jesus saw him lie and knew he had been now a long time in this case, he said unto him, Will thou be made whole? What? <laughs> what a question. And if a man answered and said, Sir. I have no man. I didn't give him a direct answer. You no, know, when when water's troubled, put me in the pool while I'm coming down. Another steps down and for me. And Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And the same day was a Sabbath day. It was a Sabbath. And the Jews therefore, and they wanted to argue about that. And then verses ten through thirteen there. They, were, they didn't care about this man at all. They just cared about the law. The Jews therefore said unto him, "That was cured. Cure, it is a Sabbath day. It is not law for thee to carry thy bed. My, oh my, oh my. After 38 years. And answered them, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up my bed and walk. Then asked they him, what man is it, is that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed was not who it was. He didn't know who he was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, and a multitude being in that place didn't tell him who he was. And there's a really the text verse we're going to walk around on a little bit. After Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come. Unto thee. Now I got a question. What could be worse? What in the world could be worse? I bet that got that old boy's attention. He'd been laying there 38 years and who knows what he'd went through. 38 years laying there was well, a little ray of hope, but really hopeless because he had no man to get him down there when the water was trouble once a year or whenever. He couldn't get ahead of him, and he never got healed. For 38 years, he hadn't gotten healed. Somebody got ahead of him. It makes no sense that he had any hope to get healed down the road because for 38 years, he was getting older, not better. He wasn't going to get in there and get healed. And Jesus said to this old boy, go and sin no more. I believe that warning is being given to us this morning. For this this, this impotent man, as they call him, was no more than a recipient of the grace of God. That's what he was. He's a recipient of the grace of God. you all agree with that? At 38 years of laying there impotent and unable to help himself, God came by, Jesus came by, and saved him. And if you that are saved here this morning Jesus came by your house one time or another and you got saved you got saved out of a fate worse than the impotent man has suffered for 38 years and he said don't don't now now that you've been this great receiver of grace you've been this you you're an object of grace don't you dare take it for granted Don't go back into the life that you got saved out of. Don't do it. And Jesus' warning was, lest a worse thing come upon you. I don't think those are idle words. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go down here. This is a phenomenal account about Jesus' ministry. There's a movement and there's been probably a movement since the day that grace was given, there's a movement to cheapen the grace of God. There's a movement called the grace awakening, which was really not an awakening of a grace, but it was a diminishing of grace. Grace never condones of sin, never. God's justice never condones of sin, though his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. It even makes it more serious once you've been born from above and once you've been saved out of the life of wickedness. It makes it more imperative not to go back. Make sense to you? Because you've been recipient of God's grace. Highly favored, by the way, and a recipient of the grace of God. There's a, there's a movement to cheapen a lot of things in our society. There's a movement to cheapen our constitution, to make it less than it was, to make it fluid, the Constitution of the United States is not a fluid document. There's a there's a movement to cheapen the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment says that these the, the, this the right to bear arms and things is is not to be infringed. What part of infringed do you have trouble with? Why do we need the Second Amendment? Well, we want to repel invasion, suppress insurrection, facilitate natural right of self-defense, participate in law enforcement, and enable people to organize a militia system. Why did our forefathers do all that? To keep dictatorship from coming back. Dictatorship always wants to raise this ugly head in a, in a group of people. You just look at if you if you know anything about history. You know, dictatorships always there, ready to go, ready to go. And our forefathers had just come out of King George and that horror. And when they when they finally beat their way free of that thing, they made this document up, and I think God led them in it to allow this, allow this, this thing we call the United States of America to stay free. You must be able to defend yourself. And don't you ever let them take that away from you. So many men have died for that freedom that we bear. But that's beside the point this morning. There's more important things to talk about. There's been a cheapening of marriage in our society. There is an ongoing onslaught, very, very calculated, to try to destroy the institution, the God-given From the beginning, Adam and Eve, that's what Jesus said. He went back to the beginning. He said, Adam and Eve, God made a man and woman, and they were one wife for life, one husband for life, till death do us part. All that's Bible. They're trying to undermine that and destroy it. They're trying to say it's not necessary to marry. In fact, they've gone as crazy to say a marriage isn't between a man and a woman. That's just insanity. Any old farmer knows you don't make chicks from two roosters. They try to make out, they've tried to destroy the longevity of marriage and say it's not binding. If you don't like somebody, you can divorce and remarry with no problem. The Bible does not agree with that. They say, well, you just stay married if things worked out or if you still love your mate or if, he's, if, the, if, your, if your mate stays young and, and handsome or pretty, depending on what they are, and if, if he treats me so-so. They want to try to cheapen marriage and make it conditional. When marriage is, biblically, from one end of the Bible to the other, unconditional. I got married to my woman for better or for worse, and we've had some worse and we've had some better. I tell people I've had at least 45 years of marital bliss. I've been married 51 years. They're trying to cheapen the Bible. There's a movement to cheapen the Bible. Oh, my goodness, is the Bible under attack. What do you think all these Bible versions are for, really to make you understand the Bible better? You don't read the one you got. You don't need 235 versions of the New Testament. That's what there are so far. In English, the old King James Bible has been good for 400 years, and it'll stay good. And you're just as smart as your father, or grandfather, and great grandparents, who—that's the only Bible they really had access to—and they seem to do just fine. The proliferation of versions has been to confuse people, because now, in a—my wife went to a funeral where they had a public reading, and they said, "Let's everybody stand and out of your Bibles." would you read Psalm 23? And she said it sounded like the Tower of Babel. (laughs) Nobody was reading the same because they all had different versions. I hope here at the Gospel that wouldn't be so. I hope we could could stand up and have what they call reading in unison. We could have a reading out of your Bible, Psalm 23, and it would be, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, and on and on. I hope we'd be the same. That means unity. And where there's unity, there's power. Where there's division, there's weakness. Jesus said a house divided against itself will fall. Come on. There's been a cheapening of the Bible. They said, rather than translate it word for word, we'll just do what we call dynamic equivalence. That's the translation method of the New International Version, by the way. The people, oh, I love the New International Version. Here's what the New International Version is. You You and I go to lunch this afternoon, and I say, you know, I don't think you're really able to chew your food. Let me chew your food for you I'll spit it on the plate, then you can have it. That is dynamic equivalence. You're with me? How about you let me chew the food directly from God? That's what dynamic equivalence is. I wouldn't give you an NIB to, to put under the jack of my car. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, They they translate the Bible according to cultural relevance. You know the Bible's not culturally relevant. The Bible doesn't care about your culture. The Bible has established its own culture based on the truth of the Word of God Himself, Jesus being the visible Word, and we having the written Word. That's what you make your culture conform to the Word of God. You don't make the Word of God conform to your culture. This is good stuff. Somebody say Amen. It's going to get long otherwise. I thought I'd help you out. You had these, these nice people preaching last Sunday, and I said, I'm going to try to. And... The truth, these are true. Jesus, in his healing of this infirm man at the pool of Bethesda, he made a firm and clear warning to all who would cheapen their forgiveness and cheapen their restoration, and cheapen the grace of God that was given to them. Let's go through it. We're just going to go back through it real quick here and point some truth out. Verses 1 through 2, we have the sheep. After there was a feast of the Jews, the king of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem and, and, the, and now there at Jerusalem, verse 2, it says, there was a sheep market, a pool. You ever been to a sheep market? You ever been to an? How many here have been to an animal auction? Raise your hand. raise on the farm or whatever animal auction. Many of you, many of you, more than what I've realized. Yeah. If you've ever been to a, around sheep, I, I, have you ever ever been around sheep that got wet? There is something. There's just about no nastier smell known to man than old wet sheep especially if the sheep are in a market in a contained area where they don't have any place to go to the bathroom. So they go where they're at, and they walk in it, and they lay in it, and the nice white wool turns brownish yellow. And that's what this place was. It was a place of animals. You've been to an auction. They put these these animals in little pens, and when an animal gets nervous, you know what they do. Or don't you? Do I have to tell you? This was a nasty place is what I'm trying to get at. Sometimes we read the Bible. When you read the Bible, there's, when you read the Bible, there's no smell of the Bible. There's no sound of the Bible. And you don't feel the wind when you read the Bible. You don't, you don't feel the sun beating on you when you read the Bible. You don't feel the cold air in a situation when you read the Bible. And there's some things you've got to kind of use your imagination a little bit when you read the Bible, this was a sheep market, a cattle market, where these cattle had been coming for years. This was a nasty place. This was a place of of stink, a place of dung. Uh, It was as low as a human being can go to be at this market. Uh, And and not only that, this, this poor, infirm guy was laying on the ground in this market. And he had been laying on the ground. For 38 years. I'm just trying to give you a feel for how serious this was with this old boy. In verse 3-5 through five, we see the people. It says there was a great multitude of infirm folks there. It says this boy had a withered hand. The word infirm means withered, dried up, cripples, and rejects of society were everywhere you look. Uh, they, were, they were objects of disdain. Why were they why were they there? Why? What drove those boys? Why didn't they go out into the country and get away from that smell? Why didn't they go sit under a tree somewhere and, and or by a brook somewhere or by a river somewhere where they could bathe and, and be clean? Why in the world they continue to gather over by this sheep auction place? Why? Hope. They had this little bit of slight little hope that somehow or another when the angel came down, one of them was going to be able to make it into the water and be healed. And that's what hope will do for people today. Misery drove them there. Hope drove them there. And it held them there. And focused them there. And this man particularly, this impotent man, for 38 years he didn't quit coming back. Hope against hope. I don't know about you, but I, that's, that, that knocks me off my feet. I've suffered some. I'm 71 years old. I've suffered some. I mean, I've had migraines for 25 years. I, those are, I have, don't have many more, but they're gone, but I 25 years. i had gout for over 25 years. I've had surgeries, and I've had radiation treatments, and I've had had to take medicines and things, but I've been somewhat sickly. But God has chosen to keep me alive, but I've been somewhat sickly. But he's helped me to understand a little bit, a little bit of what suffering is like in life. But I don't know anything. I don't know anything compared to this guy. This guy suffered for 38 years. I just have a little small taste of what suffering is about. This man was immobile. Think about it. Think about it. Picture this with me. There are no bathroom breaks. Where he was, it stunk. He stunk. He probably hadn't brushed his teeth in 38 years. He didn't have a dentist to go to. He didn't have a dermatologist to go to. He was rejected of man, despised of man. Nobody wanted to, when kids would go, they'd hold their nose and say, oh, he stinks. Make fun of him. So not only did he suffer physically, but he suffered emotionally, and I don't know about you, but I know emotional suffering is worse than physical suffering in some ways. He was teased by children, abused by the cruel of heart, outcast by his own family, condemned, told, and uh, the belief of the day was when you had an infirmity like that, you were infirm because of some sin you did, some wickedness you did, so something you did, something your mom and dad did, something your grandpa and grandpa did, and you're, you're that way because of some wickedness. So not only that, he had all that on him. 38 years. I don't think we have got a clue. To the g- degree of desperation this young, this man was at, the degree of despondency was maybe too deep for us to imagine. But one thing I rejoice this morning is Jesus is into hard cases. Amen? Jesus is into healing and saving hard cases. He'll help them. Verse six, and when Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in this case, he said unto him, "Will thou be made whole?" What kind of question is that? Maybe, maybe, maybe he said that to him because the boy had been so long in this environment, so long in the desperation that there, even though somehow it drove him back of this little hope, yet really he had no hope. You may be here this morning and you've been walking in this life of sin and things have gone, in every way they could go wrong, they've gone wrong. You you can't sleep at night. You have no peace in your heart, no peace without or no peace within. And maybe when the old preacher gets up here and says, Jesus saved, Jesus saves, you look at him and go, really? Could Jesus save me? I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus can save you. He can save the dirtiest, filthiest, vilest, Sinner that can be presented to him, he can save him. Wilt thou be made whole this morning? Will thou be made whole? Would you like God to come into your life and help you and be with you and heal you? He can. He, he specializes in hard cases. I remember when I date when I was dating Kathy, my wife. She was a hard case. Where's she at? Oh, right there. She's a hard case. My wife was raised in a pretty much of a heathen home. They were somewhat religious. They called themselves Catholic, but they never went to church or maybe Easter or Christmas. When my wife would go to confessionals, she would lie to the guy and tell him she had been there before. When I met her, she was uh, a wild child, one wanted, wanted to have fun, party girl. She's your pastor's wife. God specializes in hard cases. I gave her the gospel. I started giving her the gospel through gospel tracts. I gave chick tracks, by the way, Joe. Gave her a chick track. Gave her another chick track. And I couldn't believe that she was responding to the I was I was like this impotent guy. Who are you talking to? Are you, are you really gonna save her? And man, she said, I want to be saved. Drug me forward in a meeting. She said, I want to get saved. Came forward, brought, grabbed me by the hand. I said, I don't need to go. I'm saved. She said, You're going. So we got down there. Wow, oh, she got saved. She... And, and just like this impotent man, God made her whole, took away the, the, the scars and the wickedness and the sin, and took away the stench of sin that lays upon everyone without Christ, and gave us a new aroma from heaven. It's beautiful. Why did Jesus ask this old, impotent man, maybe to fasten his attention, deepen his absolute helplessness, to bring his hope, to bring somehow him to a place where he believed there could be a cure? I don't know. Verses 7 through 9, let's look at him. He didn't give Jesus a straight answer. Jesus said, well, I'll be made whole. He could have said, yes. I want to be made whole. He didn't even say this. He goes into this big long story. You know, I go down here and the angel troubles the water and nobody will come. And in verse seven, there. And what did Jesus say to all that? Look, rise up, take your bed and walk. Jesus comes to you today and says, You say, Brother Bill, I mean, I've known deacons that aren't right with God that say they're deacons and preachers that ain't, they're hypocrites and aren't right with deacons. And I know members that call themselves Christians and are not right with God. And Let me say, that I always tell people the same thing when they tell me that. Don't go to hell for those people. Amen? Don't go to hell for the hypocrite. Don't go to hell. I don't care how many people have disappointed you. Jesus will never disappoint you. He'll save you. He'll help you. No matter what your difficulties are, He'll help you. Rise up, take up your bed, and walk by the grace of God. And the man immediately was made whole. Jesus asked him to act on what he said in verse 8. And I believe unless the sinner acts on the gospel of deliverance, he'll be right beside it and miss it. If you don't act on what you hear this week in revival services, maybe God spoke to you on some things. If you don't act on what God brought by your plate, if you don't act on that, then you'll lose what good that God has for you. In fact, in this particular case, this man would have died in his sins, ever so close to salvation. Jesus Christ himself right there. But if he had not acted on it, he said, rise up. You know, I noticed something in this. Jesus doesn't come over there, grab the guy by the shoulder, and try to lift him up. He lets the guy do it. He, when he saves you, he said, you got to get up. you, you got to read your Bible. you, you got you to start living for Christ. you gotta, you got to come to church. You've got to avail yourself to the things I've got available for you. He told the man, rise up. Rise up. I'm not going to help you. Rise up. I believe God does the same for you and me. All these things to us are available, but he's not going to spoon feed you. He's going to. You're, you've got to rise up. You've got to act upon them. The man was hapless, hopeless, and helpless, but the man had to think about moving his legs. Now, he had never moved his legs in 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years not moving his legs. but well, I suppose he had to think about it. Somehow or another, God tied all that nerve together back again. And when he thought about moving his legs, which he had thought maybe thought about many times through those 38 years, this time when he thought about it, they actually moved. To his surprise, to his amazement, to the disciples that were there, their amazement, he began to, he stood up on his feet. The feet had not been used in 38 years. The muscles had not been used in 38 years. This was huge. If you respond to the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided for you and has offered to you, and if you're willing to rise up for the Lord Jesus Christ, the difference will be huge in your life too. It'll be night and day, life-changing, when Jesus comes by your house. You'll use... You use areas of your person that you did not know existed. There were people out going door to door yesterday that haven't gone door to door before. And I love that when somebody's willing to give God a chance to show himself strong in your behalf. You know what you do when you're willing to do something that you've never done before for Jesus? You're saying, God, you're big enough. You want me to do it, okay? You're big enough to make it happen. I can't talk, I don't know much of the gospel. I don't really like to be confrontational. I don't like to face people about the things that God, but if you want me to do it, I believe you're big enough to make it happen. Jesus says, rise up and walk. The boy's got to believe that Jesus is big enough and that his word is strong enough that he's able to get up on his feet, rise up, walk around, grab his bed, and walk out of that place. And I believe you got the same thing. You have the same option. This crippled man had been so long in the, in the dregs of sin and, and, and this despondency that he accepted the abnormal for the normal. Have you ever done that? Accept the abnormal for the normal? I went into the uh, ear, nose, and throat guy, and I was having some trouble with my nose. I got in a fist fight when I was 15 years old, broke my nose, and it had been that way for many, many years. On one side of my nose, I couldn't even breathe out of one side, I only could breathe out of one, only could breathe out of this side, couldn't breathe out of this side. And I went into the nose, throat guy and he says, I noticed you're not able to breathe out that one side of your nose. I said, Yeah. What's wrong with that? Oh, he said, That's not normal. That's not normal. I said, I don't know anything else. That's normal. He said this statement. James Fuller, Dr. James Fuller, he said, You've accepted the abnormal for the normal. Well, I said, okay, I appreciate it, but I'm, and I so I left. I, I tidied up, finished my appointment, and left. I got in the car, and there was a little voice in my head that said, you've accepted the abnormal for the normal. I went home, and a little voice in my head kept saying, you've accepted the abnormal for the normal. That night, that next day, a little voice kept saying, you've accepted the abnormal for the normal. I called the guy back up and said, schedule the surgery. I'm not accepting the abnormal for the normal. I want to. I want to... I want to know what it is to breathe out of both sides of my nose. Well, that's not a big deal, right? By the way, I do know how it is to breathe out of both sides, and it's glorious. <laughs> Jesus said to the sinner, he says to the sinner today, even in this room or by the Internet, you're, you're, you don't know what normal is. God has normal ready for you to experience, but you got to rise up. You've got to act on what God's running by your house. You've got to move on the light that you've been given. What little light you may have been given, move on it. Take action on it like this man did. Jesus found me lying in the cesspool of sin. No man was able to help me out. I couldn't move, writhing in my own failures and troubles, agonizing in my own condition, Almost, almost hopeless, but almost. Then Jesus passed by. A song years ago said, Jesus passed by, Jesus passed by. Oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. I can't explain it, and I cannot tell you why, but oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. Man, I wish you could have known me while I, was, while I was in the sheep gate. You'd say, Brother Bill, what a tremendous, rejuvenating, life-changing, upside-down change God's done in your life. The trouble is, I've only known Tom Gillespie since he's been saved, so I don't think maybe God's done all that much in Tom's life. Oh, had I known him back on the farm, it would have been a difference. but let's go to our text. That was introduction. I said all that to come to hear. Verse 14, this grave warning to this newly healed man. Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. What can we learn from that? First of all, remember, recipient of God's grace, where you've come from and what's been done for you. Don't you ever forget what's been done from you, for you. Read your biography. It's been called by one preacher. Go back and reread your life story. Go back in your mind the way you were before you got saved and think about how you, the things that you did. Oh, I don't like to think about that. David said that my sin is ever before me. Why? Why? so you can keep an attitude of gratitude. If you forget what you've been saved from, you may think that you're some super special, whoo, abovely super privileged person, that you're just better than everybody else. But when you go back and remember what God saved you out of, you're going to be humbled by that and say, hey, I'm unworthy of the least of his favor, and God's come by my house and he's touched me and he's saved me. Read your biography. Go back over and look at it. He tells this old boy, don't go out and do, don't go back into the sin that you've come from. Don't do it. Don't do it. let the worst thing come on you. And I say, of course, as I said earlier, what could be worse? I know one thing, that must have got that old boy's attention, but I think Jesus was warning him about cheapening of the grace that he had received, cheapening of the forgiveness he had received, and going back into the life of sin and Basically, carelessness or callousness, whichever you like to say. You remember John chapter 8, the adulterous woman? This woman was taken in the very act of adultery. A bunch of men brought her before Jesus, and according to the law of Moses, she should have been stoned. Of course, I always ask about that. Where was the man at? If she was caught in the act, which she was caught in the act, in the act, then there was a man there. And according to the law of Moses, the man and the woman should be stoned. But here, this this is the degree of hypocrisy. that they're bringing this woman before Jesus, the man's not there, they've let him go. And they bring this woman before her to be stoned. What did he tell her after that whole thing, I'm not going to go through it, where he forgave her and they all left and nobody stoned her and he didn't condemn her? What did he tell her? Go and sin no more. Now, he didn't add the little caveat, lest the worst thing come upon you, but you could have. There is an impetus for people. People sometimes think grace is a license to sin. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How she withered her deadness didn't live any longer in it. That's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 6. You read the book. You read the Romans chapter six, that chapter, and and the whole chapter talks about us being free from the power of sin. Now we, when we sin as born again believers, we don't sin because we have to sin. We don't sin like the sinner. He he sins because a duck quacks and a duck swims in water and a duck has characteristics. Well, a sinner sins and a sinner does what they do. But when you get born from above and get the Holy Spirit coming in you, now you don't go back and live like that. And if you do go back and live like that, it won't be for long because you'll immediately be convicted of the Holy Spirit of God who's come to reside in your life, and you'll be, and you'll repent and turn away from it. But you won't go back and lay back in the soot and wickedness of sin that you came from. You won't do it if you're born from above. You remember the forgiveness that you've received. You remember the grace that you've received. You remember the mercy that you have received. I I don't know of a more solemn warning in all of Scripture, except here in John chapter 5, verse 14, to this impotent man in an old nasty sheep market did he heals he could have given this warning to anybody but it's not found anywhere else but right here. Go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. Don't you believe in this 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 so-called grace awakening where grace is a license to sin and you can go do what you want to do God will just forgive you just go back to God and say don't do it. Born again believer you what you've been saved out of stay out of. And if you go back, repent and turn and come out of it again. The Bible says the righteous falls seven times and rises up again. No excuse for us. There's no more mercy. If we go back and dwell back in those pig pens, the latter end the Bible says is worse than the beginning. Now you figure that out. May the Lord help us today. But the story on this man, as far as we know, he got, he got born from above. He got saved. He got cleaned. He got healed. And God gave him a life at the end of his life that he never thought he'd have. And that's what he'll do for you and now for, do for me. May the Lord help us. Father, thank you this morning for the lesson of the impotent man, the lesson of your, of your power, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Oh, I don't know how the Holy Spirit would take this this morning and work in the lives of these folks. But may your blessed Spirit move among us. There could be some in here without Christ, their personal Savior. If they died today, they don't know, we don't know where they'd spend eternity. They've been out wandering in the sheepfold of the world. They don't know how to get clean. They don't know how to get their conscience clean. They don't know how to get the memories that they've had in their mind relieved. Come to Jesus. The author and finisher of your faith, the one who died on Calvary and became your sin for you. Why don't you do that? Ask Jesus to save you today. We'd love to be able to help you. Five people yesterday asked Jesus Christ to save them. We'd love to be able to show you what we showed them, what's called the gospel, the good news, so that you can be saved. We're nothing. God's everything. The Lord Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. Born again Christian, in your life the devil is going to come by your house and try to pull you back. Don't you let it happen. You Don't you let it happen. Remember this verse. Remember this old impotent man and what Jesus said to him. And resist the devil. The Bible says it this way in James 4, 7. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Help us, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.